Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Synergy Autism Podcast. And I am lucky enough to have another question from the lovely Christy Preddy Franzek out in the field with early childhood educators. And she was asked a question about a child who is seeming to refuse joining any activity. So here you will hear us talk about some different ideas about what you might think about, and then really what the question to her was, what kinds of IEP or IFSP goals can you write for a child who is refusing almost everything that you offer in a classroom setting? So this could be helpful for families going into IEP or IFSP meetings, or it could be helpful for teachers who are trying to write them. So listen in and enjoy. Hi, Christy. I'm so glad that you're here again with me, and I'd love to hear about the student that you were asked about. Yeah, so this is a common one because um, so often in preschools, there's a lot of opportunities for kids to have to be compliant and for kids to um, follow a routine and follow directions. And so Mm -hmm. some teachers were asking, this is um, some teachers in an inclusive preschool classroom. So they've got some Head Start, some public school preschool, and some preschool special ed. And they've got a little friend who they kind of termed as non-compliant, meaning anytime they give a direction or ask the child to complete a task or to engage in a routine, the kid tends to kind of Um, escalate and actually rebel and refuse. So that's the situation. But the question was, what would be an IEP-worthy goal? Oh, right. For a child who isn't entering into guide-directed activities, basically. Right. So isn't being part of the team and, in fact, kind of you know, infamously gives the finger (laughs) to other members of the team, right? (laughs) Maybe even figure... Maybe even... Really doing that. Yeah, literally and figuratively. So we've got this kid who might be, you know, rebelling or be non-compliant or um, not going with the flow and they need a good IEP goal. But where should we begin um, a solution for this team? You know, that's that's a really interesting question because I often have more questions to start with than I do answers right away, which is where I want most people to be, right? Of trying to figure out what's going on for that kid. Kids don't naturally want to rebel. They want to learn from other people, but for some reason he or she is not able to right now. So assuming it to him. Yeah, let's just assume it's a him. Sorry, boys, but if it's going to be a rebel, no. <laughs> yeah, so I too, and I think that's why we get along so well. I'm always like, yeah. I have 800 questions, you know? Um, <laughs> And so we will get to a suggested IEP goal, we promise, but let's go ahead and think through some of those questions we would inherently be curious about, right? Like what would we want to know more about before trying to offer an IEP-worthy goal? Yeah, so I think getting the whole team on board to find out, and that includes the family, of course, and just making sure that there isn't something medical going on is always my very first question. Um, Is the child not feeling well for some reason, which is when we all refuse, um, when we're not feeling as well. I was glad you were giving us some examples because I think sometimes when we say medical, people think, oh, does he have a diagnosis of ADHD? And that's not oh, what we mean by no. have you consulted medical, right? Right. You don't want to be missing something as easy as, you know, has a sliver in his foot and he's had it for six weeks and nobody's noticed, you know, that kind of thing. Where if it's a child who has 
who might be more nonverbal or have trouble with communication. It can be that simple. But then it also could be food related. It could be he's coming in hungry and doesn't want to do anything else except eat, which was our last conversation. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it could be anything from a, a medical perspective that we just want to make sure that there's no pain going on, no allergies, no th things like that that we should know about. Right. And I think that all of that is so interrelated in terms of sleeping and eating yeah. and, you know, because it could be a food allergy. So we don't know if something's being triggered even by their morning snack. So, okay. So we've got questions about medical. I'm really glad you brought up sleep because I think that's a huge one that comes up again and again. And if I don't know whether this child has autism or not, but children with autism commonly have trouble with sleep. And if a child's coming in having, um, you know, woken up at 2.30 in the morning, you're getting them at 8 o'clock in the morning. That's really different than a child who just woke up the hour before and is well rested. One of the things that I often think about is where the child has been before, how long they've been up. And sometimes if they have like a long bus ride or a long train ride or even just in the car, many kids will fall asleep in their car seat. And if they don't have a good harness, they're a little, yeah. you know, uh, digestive system gets all crunched in their neck. And like all of us, like when we wake up with a neck that's crunched, yeah. we're not always in the best mood. So sometimes we think that the trigger is that we ask the kid to be compliant, but really the trigger is just kind of interacting with people. I'm just kind of annoyed because yeah. I woke up. I mean, the whole idea is that we need to figure out what we can do kind of to set this child up to be successful before we implement any goal, right? Or any, ask any directive. So making sure that we're setting them up for success first. So that made me think of another question I had other than like medical, you know, biological stuff going on, mm -hmm. um, was sort of this idea of when is the kid successful? Because mm -hmm. our perception oftentimes with challenges is that it's always happening. The kid's always saying no. The kid's always refusing. So I was curious, is there any time either timing or situation specific, like a favorite toy, a favorite person, noon, not 9am, whatever, you know, trying to figure out when do they do it? Well, whatever. Well, we also is. talked about that last week when we were talking about the eating, like when is yeah. it then that the child is successful? And I definitely think that's a great place to go is, you know, is, is there ever a moment where the child does follow a guide's lead? So potentially getting off the bus, for example, might be when he does follow a guide's lead to get to the classroom. And it could be that, but it also could be, you know what, the child's successful in exploring the environment. And so that's something we can build on too. Is that kind of what you mean? Not just yeah. following a guide's lead, but other times when the child's successful? Yeah. Well, that's a good point too. Like not just when are they doing well, right? Being a good team member, as well as when do they actually take a good directive? Because it could be, remember that story you told me too about like that analogy of filling up a cup with water and how the kid could be already close to full. So it could be in the morning, the first question you say is, you know, hang up your jacket and the kid's off the, the mm -hmm. off on running. Off the rails. Off the rails, thanks. Or it could be that it, looked all good for a while, but we don't know what happened, you know, how many other demands did another teacher give all morning, right? And so then you just, you know, nonchalantly came up and said, come over to circle and you get it, right? So I guess that was all of that, like how many stressors is the kid being exposed to? When is the kid having success in general, but then specific to when are they able to 
be quote unquote compliant. And then I guess I was really thinking, you know, this particular team is, you know, an amazing team, but I was thinking about sometimes when the adults struggle, are our expectations developmentally appropriate? The number, how quickly, what we're expecting them to be wanting to come to, you know, all those starts and stops. Yeah, I think another way, I mean, because my guess is that a team, if it's an integrated classroom, they know what typical is because they see a lot of other kids being able to do that, right? Right. It's a matter of, in my mind, of whether we go zero to 60 or not. Altering our expectations a little bit in the sense of they may need to practice following a guide's lead, but they won't be able to do it overnight. And so if, you know, the child knows that, for example, if if I follow them this one time, I'm going to have to follow them the whole entire day. Forget it. Right? right. Right. And so then maybe the child stops at the first directive because, hey, wait a minute, I don't want to be on, the, on somebody else's agenda all day. That would make it zero to 60, right? And so maybe saying, okay, each day we're going to have them, you know, every hour we'll ask, ask them to do one thing you know, rather yeah, like pace it out, give them some big long break. So yeah, exactly. Like another um, fellow revolutionary uh, was telling a story the other day about a kid that was on one of those horrid behavior, public shaming charts. <laughs> yeah. and, um, I won't get the story exactly right, but the, the, the kid barely walked in the door and got put on red. And the teacher's like, I'm putting you on red. And he's like, good, because then I don't have to listen to you the rest of the day. <laughs> oh my like gosh, that. that's so exactly what happens. Right? Yeah, parents get into that loop all the time. That's the trouble with using consequences only. It just doesn't work after a while because they, yeah, all right, well, I already lost it. I can do anything now. Well, and I was thinking too, like, since the question was, what's an IEP worthy goal? We already know this kid doesn't have typical development, at least in some area in which to qualify, right? And so there, there are probably things that we need to consider in terms of being able to understand the request, um, understand the cause and effect, understand options, understand choices, like there's probably lots going on. My guess is that this is a kiddo who is probably struggling with also being able to sustain attention to anything for very long. Those usually go hand in hand. And so I'd probably personally recommend a goal surrounding sustaining attention to a guide-directed activity, which also kind of back to the zero to 60 idea is that you wouldn't want to have a child stay for 20 minutes for an activity, even though the rest of the kids might be able to. That child, maybe just the expectation is to come and stay for three minutes Mm-hmm. And then is allowed to leave again so that you're catching them when they're good and that they can be successful. And so, yes, I think there's a lot of different things probably that the child needs to learn, but without being able to follow a guide's lead and sustain attention, they're not going to learn all that other stuff. Right, right. So it's really becomes an issue of duration or perhaps even endurance, just that the kid yeah. doesn't need a, a bigger skill or a more, more complex skill or maybe even a more frequent, right? We don't need to follow directions more often. We need to do them yeah. at select times and then sustain an interaction. Try and lengthen those times that the child can remain engaged with a guide. Yeah. In the yeah, because the hypothesis there would be, back to your original point, most kids want to stay engaged. So if you have a good engagement with the guide and the guide asks you to shift your attention, you shouldn't have a meltdown 
if you have a good relationship. And if you're looking at autism, I don't know if this child has autism or not, but if we are, I mean, that's the crux of autism, right? Is that sustaining with objects might be possible, but sustaining with an adult in the lead or with another peer in the lead is going to be harder, but exactly where you need to go. Right. And so that's back to that more about where where are the questions we have to ask does the kid have success with an object but not with an adult or with a particular adult yeah. but not another or but yeah good yeah. if you're going to come over to a quiet activity but terrible if you're going to come to a group activity with other peers yeah right and i think one more thing to think about as a potential iep goal or ifsp goal might be um having an understanding of a start and an end of something so being able to complete a task as well. So kind of to pair those two. So when you start something, okay, you're going to join somebody, but then being able to put it away or be done with something to the, before you move on, mm. that also helps with attention and helps with sustaining longer. They kind of come together in my head of those two needing to be together. Right, because it's like the stopping becomes the start of the next activity. <laughs> you know, they're like this loop. And so if you're able to stop what you're doing, you're actually becoming compliant with yeah, getting exactly. ready to go to the next, right? So, but if a kid has trouble with stops and starts, I want to say like, it's not just stopping, but it, because they're so connected. So let's say the kid's playing. And I want them to clean up and come over to circle time. It's really stopping and starting almost simultaneously, right? <laughs> or fluidly. Like I got to stop and put my blocks away and then I have to start by coming over to circle. Yeah. Versus any space in between there of just kind of completing something and recognizing and celebrating it's done before then asking and inviting to start again. Yeah, I'm also thinking that this can be within just when a child is exploring on their own, though. Okay. So a child's exploring the classroom, and usually a kiddo like the one you're describing is one that flits about the room, right, and goes from one thing and might take something out and then go to the next thing and then starts it and then goes on to the next thing and starts gotcha. it. And doesn't ever really have this kind of sense of the sustaining with something or kind of this, okay, I'm really, I'm making a choice you know, to get into what's called personal agency. Like I can finish this task before I move on to something else. Okay. Which, you know, most, there's some developmentally appropriate stuff in there too that kids will do that pretty early. But usually when you say, hey, are you finished with the blocks? Kids will go, oh, nope, I'm not yet. Or they'll come back and, oh yeah, I'm done and push them away or whatever it is. But having that moment of completion or I'm done or, you know, is to me very tied in with sustaining attention, following a guide's lead, understanding starts and ends to things. So let's see if we can say those slowly. Because um, <laughs> I'm thinking about, because they're kind of slightly different, right? But none of them are really about following a direction or completing um, a demand. Like, well, with the sustaining kind attention, of I think it is, because I would personally put that into the goal. So I would have something around partnering with a guide when it's a guide's idea. So something like partnering within a guide-directed activity for at least a certain number of minutes. So the guide being the teacher. Yep. It's a planned activity. They're going to yep. do something like an art activity, let's just say. Yep. 
that we want the kid to be able to participate in an activity that's being led by somebody else, not them. Yep. That's a form of following a direction or being compliant or following the routine. Exactly. It's really the focus or the perspective or lens is being able to um, be a part of an activity that's led by the guide. Yes. That's the overall goal for sure. And then being able to lengthen that time is the sustaining part. And then being able to let somebody know when they're finished. Yes. And then the guide needs to perhaps respect that the kid is finished. <laughs> yes. I'm just saying, because the kid needs to learn that their comments and their actions have yeah. some sort of meaning, right? Yeah, absolutely. The way that I like to look at it, though, is you always want to leave kids wanting more. And so if okay. a child says, all done, and you say, nope, you got to keep going, you definitely have lost them, and they're not going to want to ever come back because we didn't respect their desire to leave when it was still, it was good. All right. I'm good. Right. Right. Okay. But the sharks just came, Barb. Everybody just was like, wait, are you saying that when kids want to just leave an activity, they just can? (laughs) Um, If it is a child's IEP goal to lengthen, then, and it depends on their goal. So if it's their goal to be able to tell you and I am always in favor of saying one more, so respecting, but then having it end on the guide's lead. So if a child says, all done, and I'm wanting them to do a little more, I'll say, okay, one more. And then they have to do one more, or they have to clean up. So they have to end on the guide's lead. So it's two things there. It's back to practicing what you suggested could be the IEP goal, which is stopping the activity. Yep you know, getting closure, completing, yep. doing it on their terms, but it's slightly still under the guide's guidance because the guide yeah. is still the one that decides the final when you're done. But we have to be careful because we as adults will be like one more and the kid like actually does it. And then we're like, okay, but let's get one more in. Absolutely. Like, and no, no way. No. Right? You're not, if the child gets back into it and you get all excited, you can say, nope, we said one more. And you actually say goodbye. And so then even if you don't say the one more, if you say, okay, I, you want to be done, you need to put your stuff in your cubby. That at least is you ending yes. the loop with the kid. Exactly. And I cannot yeah. stress that enough. And I'm glad you brought that up and that the sharks came because <laughs> that is really important that the guide starts and ends the activity. Okay. But with this huge amount of respect of what's going on for the child. And so we're still recognizing that there may have been a lot of stressors because maybe the activity was going well, but then a bunch of noisy little friends came over. Yep, exactly. And the glue got stuck on their hands and it doesn't feel good. Yep. And it smells funny, right? All those things that are now um, escalating. Exactly. For the kid, we got to read those cues and then help the child transition to then something that is engaging and keeps neurons firing. Yes, but how powerful could that be long-term if you help that child say, for self-advocacy reasons, say, "Hmm, okay, I'm going to do one more and then I'm going to be done and I'm going to put it away and then I'm going to go do what I need to do. That's going to sustain that kiddo longer with all that sensory information coming in that you said, but still being able to take action to take care of him or herself. Absolutely. Because they become aware that they're becoming agitated or overloaded. And so they're trying to tell you that. And we need to understand that and help them then de-escalate 
not see it as the kids getting their way. The kid is just getting to do whatever they want whenever they want. Yeah, but you're empowering the child and not just fleeing. You're empowering the child to do the one more or finish and then go. Right. So let's talk about that for a minute because if you, if you can do a little tiny extension, like the one more or the put away or, you know, it could even be small, like push your chair in, right? Yep. Or even high five. Or put the lid on. Yeah, high five, right? Yep. Something that isn't just a flea. Yep, exactly. If we try to do too much, the kid's going to go into the storm, right? Yep. Now they're going to escalate. Yep. And now they're going to throw the chair. Exactly. And push everything off the table. And now we can't teach. So no matter if the goal is good, bad, or ugly, that IEP goal, we can't teach when the kid's in the storm. Well, and then you've got your own storm going of then you can't let the child, quote unquote, get away with that behavior. So then you have to keep them there and you have to have them follow through and blah, 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 which, you know. And then you have to get up and put their clip on red. <laughs> Right. You're busy. You're very busy. Yes. It makes it all much more complicated than just respecting one more cleanup. Goodbye. And then remembering that if, if, if even by doing that, perhaps you got a little overzealous and you made too big of a bid and the kid escalated to the point of being on the red train or in the, you know, no teaching zone, then yeah. what do you do? Just go silent? So all that happened that we were just talking about. Yeah, like, yeah, like okay, so like the kid said, "All done," and I said, "One more," and the kid like threw the chalk at me, or the mm. puzzle piece went flying. Yeah, so definitely, you know, the first thing is always to go silent and try and get everybody safe as possible, and that recognize that the child is off the rails, and so safety is first before then you try and calm yourself. So making sure your body positioning is in the right space. So sitting down often next Not like to jumping out of my chair like, hey, we don't throw our toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. Okay. <laughs> and then offering small bids again to regain control for that child to kind of save face and re regain control and then be able to put things away before leaving. So again, it becomes that same thing of let's do one thing not asking you for the world, but I want you to do one thing before then you leave. Yeah, because I think people forget sometimes that there is still going to be a consequence. So the kid throws everything off of the table. I go silent. It doesn't mean I'm condoning the behavior. I'm just no. recognizing the kid is on the red train. And I'm not able to hear you. Not able to hear me. Right. You save I'm your breath. Charlie Brown's teacher at that point. Yep. Wah, 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 right. Yep. And I'm, I'm contributing to the escalation the more I talk. Yep. So take a breath, make sure everybody's safe, pick up my favorite puzzle pieces that I love, take another breath. Yeah. Kind of read the kid's cue. Now, let's say the kid ran off to a corner in the room. At what point do I go over to that corner in the room to help them save space? face, but come back to the table to do, complete the task I wanted, put the lids away, you know, put the lid on the markers, put the puzzle away calmly. To be honest, I'm the teacher who would tell everybody else in the room, do not put that away <laughs> because yeah. I would be expecting that of the child, but it, I may not expect it immediately. Right. So the kid's over there and I'm now calm. I can go get proximity, right? Yep. And I can... Sit Start near. to what I heard or saw or what I think they're feeling. Yep. Okay. Connect with that child first. Um, create that moment and ask, are you ready? I'm ready to help you. Yep. 
So, so you're, you're keeping your expectations high. You're keeping the task simple. You know it's something the child can do. You're not asking for the moon at that point. And not a lot of talking. Not like, now, I know you were upset and, you know, things make us all upset at times, but we have to, you know, take care of our toys at preschool and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right? no, not at that moment. Not at all. So we're still mostly quiet, mostly calming with our nonverbals. Yeah, I feel like children, um, especially who have behavior issues, are probably going to have a harder time with emotions in general, um, kind of labeling them or talking about them or whatever. And so I think giving little kids just that same message of all of that through our kind, gentle, but firm guidance is going to be take that child further emotionally than if we sit there and go, blah, 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 you must be feeling awful. I'm sure. Oh yeah, we can't do that. What are our friends going to think? And blah, blah, blah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be compassionate, kind, and quiet. Yes. And when the kids kind of and firm, regulated, and firm right? Because yeah. like I said, we're still having high expectations. We're yep. going to wait. We're not going someplace. Yep. And then we're going to help them come back over to the table and complete something. Yeah. The more of a big deal you make it, the more they'll make it a big deal the other way. <laughs> like an opposition. <laughs> the more you make it very calm and like, really, this is no big deal. You just need to do this and then we're done. It's good. All right. So a couple of things. We've got some ideas because uh, I've got one more thing for you. So we've got some ideas that it could be about really about staying engaged in a guide-led or teacher-planned activity and yep. trying to increase the duration of that, yep. but kind of concurrently helping the kid um, start and stop activities with some control, yep. um, with some cognitive executive functioning uh, conscious control, I guess I would like to say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that, that when they do close the activity, it's still on the guide's terms, but that term is not the moon. If the request was reasonable and still the kid escalated or back to being a rebel, they just refused, then we got to do all of our normal steps of getting ourselves calm, connecting with the child, and then helping them to re-engage. Yes. There are just two things that more I wanted to say. So one is there are going to be kids that never come back in that moment that we're describing. And then those are the kiddos that we're the ones who have to say, hmm, okay, I'm going to let go right now. And Uh, they're never going to come back, meaning onto the green train. They're going to stay in that moment that you've tried, you've, you've gone over to them yeah. and you've tried and they yeah. still are escalating and it is yeah. still not working. That's when it's now they're screaming job. at you and they're throwing the stuff yep. in that area. Okay. That's our job to let go. Okay. In my opinion that, you know what, I'm no longer teaching anything. I'm no longer being, you know, it doesn't matter about cleaning up that block or that whatever it was. It is a time to let go and then review it in your own head, maybe review it with the team and figure out another strategy for the next okay. rather okay. than forcing it in that moment. Okay. So that's one thing I want to say. The other thing I want to say is I get the question a lot of, well, but we have a full classroom. We have, it's an integrated classroom. How can I give one child that much one-on-one time? Right. And my answer, to be honest, is that you're already giving them that one-on-one time <laughs> because you're having to. So the more that you can shift it into proactive one-on-one time Mm -hmm. of working on that guide-led and sustained 
attention for something and then being able to start and stop something, the more you can do that proactively one-on-one, you're going to be on the faster track to not having to give one-on-one time out of emergency reasons. Right, right. Out of crisis. Out of crisis, right. Yeah. And so... So we've got some ideas emerging, but we also wanted to say a couple things about um, the IP worthy goal that is, um, this is a double negative, that is not to get the kid to stop doing something. <laughs> yeah, that's my, I, I really, really dislike those IEP goals that I see again and again and again of the child will refrain from any aggressive behavior, you know, during right. class time, this many days over this many, whatever. That is just silly to me because what are you actually teaching? That's what you right. need to have on an IEP goal. Scratching all of that <laughs> is the first step. And then the second step is just really what do you need the child to learn um, to be successful and really looking at the foundational goals first. And so for me, if you want to talk about the things you don't want them to do, it kind of helps you figure out, is this an issue of frequency or intensity or duration or endurance? Because you're like, I want them to do this, you know, I want them to stop doing this all day long. Okay, that's, you know, or I want them to be able to not act out in large group. Even though you're talking about the things you don't want, it helps you kind of narrow focus. Sure. Right. But then to your point, the IEP goal is the skill that you are actually teaching. Not yeah, so the, you, you can certainly put all of the, I mean, I know some people feel like they need to document the behavior issues somewhere on the IEP, but that's where the present levels of development, that's what that can be. You know, the, what they're currently doing, right? Screaming yes. all the time, kicking all the time, refusing, yes, right? Absolutely. And so usually kids who are doing that aren't, aren't able to get to the IEP goals at all, right? Right. And so then it's thinking like, okay, if it's all about refusing and not following the directions, then it's all those developmental trajectories about where is the kid in terms of understanding routines, starting and stopping activities, staying engaged, shifting their attention, right? All those little pieces and parts. Another one that I don't like is... Um, will protest appropriately using their words for blah, blah, <laughs> right? It's like, well, wait a minute. So let's help them not have to protest. Let's have right. them learn something so that, I mean, sure, we all need to learn to communicate our needs and self-advocate, but let's write it like that then instead of just, we'll protest using words instead of aggression. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's not really clear what it is that's helping the child have access, participation, and make progress. Right. Exactly. All right. There you go. There, that's what you do with the rebel. Thank you for listening to the Synergy Autism podcast. If you would like to learn more about Synergy Autism Center, check out our website at www.synergyautismcenter.com. Synergy is spelled S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y. And we are updating the podcast there as well. So you can find all the episodes there. Thank you.